Thank you for being here today. You proved that you don't melt in the rain, right? So thanks for showing up today. Uh, I do want to backtrack a second on our offering. I want to encourage you all to keep giving to our uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, the total to date, y'all have given roughly $2,700. And so I want to encourage you through the end of the year to keep, keep on giving generously to that. That all 100% of that goes to uh, support and send missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want to encourage you to give generously, all right? Uh, so uh, let me ask you a question. We are, wow, a week away from Christmas Eve. Uh, any last-minute Christmas shoppers in the house? Do you want to confess that you are still doing some shopping? All right, that's all right. Let me just remind you, Jesus is coming soon, uh, and so he expects those gifts to be under the trees. Uh, you know, just kidding. Um, a reminder, as always, that Christmas is not about the gifts that you give or the gifts that you get. It is about uh, the gift uh, that God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it is a gift that we could never have uh, earned or deserved. Um, there is an old uh, theologian, old reformer that I quote from time to time. His name is John Calvin. Uh, one of his teachings that we wholeheartedly subscribe to, a biblical teaching, is uh, summarized in the phrase total depravity. We are totally depraved. We are sinners. We are fallen creatures. Uh, every part of us, because of the fall, has been corrupted by, by sin. Uh, so total depravity. So there's a uh, Christmas uh, ugly, an ugly Christmas sweater that I would like to add to my collection. It has a picture of John Calvin on it, and it says this, you are all on the naughty list, all right? That's a little nerdy theologian humor, um, and so I need to add that to my closet. But, but that's really the truth, is that, that uh, this is the essence of, of Christmas and of the gospel, that uh, you can't be nice enough, right? You can't do enough good things to be on God's, uh, on his list of, you know, you earn his salvation. Man, it's a gift of his grace, totally undeserved, uh, totally un. Earned. We were created by God and for God for a, to have a relationship with him, uh, and yet we are sinners. Our sins stand in the way between us and God. Our sins need to be forgiven. Our sins need to be atoned for. There's nothing that we could do to erase them, to uh, remove them from us. Uh, and so God, in his great love for, for us, in his grace and his mercy, gifted us uh, his son, Jesus, and Jesus came, God the Son in the flesh. He came and lived a perfect life that we were meant to live, died the death that we deserve because of our sin, and he rose again. And so Jesus, uh, God gifted us his Son. Jesus gifted us his, his very righteousness. And this is a gift that uh, we could never earn because, y'all, we are on, all on the naughty list. We are all sinners. Uh, and yet God in his grace uh, has, sh has uh, shed his love upon us. Uh, and that's what we celebrate at, at Christmas. Uh, Y'all ever get excited uh, about a gift that you've received that you just kind of like want to tell the world? Uh, I remember last Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve 2022, uh, Christmas Eve service, uh, reading the Christmas story as I do every year to uh, our kids, uh, which I'll do next Sunday. Y'all pray for me as you think about me. Um, that's always an interesting time. Enjoy it. Uh, never know what's going to happen. But I remember last year uh, sitting down here reading the Christmas story, and out of nowhere, one of our kids, uh, old Michael Pr Micah Pringle, um, decides to declare to God and all the world that he got a monster truck. Uh, and he was so excited about it, uh, and I had no idea how to recover. Like, how do, we, how do we get out of this? How do we finish this story? But he was... He, 
uh, Ryan just told me, I think a couple weeks ago, that they had just come from a family gathering and he got this, man, he was so excited that he got this monster truck. I want to tell the world, I got this monster truck. Uh, and I love that. I love that excitement about Christmas. And uh, y'all, that's how we ought to be because we have received the greatest, uh, most unbelievable gift that we could ever receive. Our sins have been washed away. We've received forgiveness and grace from the hand of Almighty God. It's the best gift ever. And so Isaiah 9, verse 6, this is the the passage that we've been digging into in this Christmas season. It's a a prophecy to the people of of Israel um, that there was this this way out of of darkness, that uh, that there's a way out of oppression. This this Savior, this Messiah, is coming to save uh, his people from their sins. He was a Savior who will lead you into light and into uh, joy and into prosperity. Uh, and the Savior is coming. This Messiah is Jesus. This is what this prophecy is all about. Uh, his coming is, is what we celebrate. And so Isaiah 9, verse number 6, gives us these four names of this coming Messiah, Jesus. Now, we said, we've said this the last couple of weeks. Uh, these are not literal names uh, for, for Christ, uh, name, literal names that he would bear. It wasn't like, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph were uh, like, oh, uh, hey, Prince of Peace, it's time for bed, right? Or, uh, hey, everlasting God, uh, dinner time, right? It, 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 these weren't literal names. These are more like titles or descriptions uh, that, that are descriptive of, of his character, of his nature, of his personality, all right? It tells us what he is, is like. And as a church, our focus uh, not just in this season, our focus is on Jesus. Amen? It's always on Christ, who he is, the person and the work of Christ. And so we, as a church, we want to learn about him more. Uh, we want to love him more. We want to become like him more and more. We want to tell others of him more and more. Our focus is on Christ. And so this is why we are looking at these four names or titles or descriptions, because they reveal to us more of, of who Jesus is. That what he's like. And so this is why we're, we're diving into these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I want to invite you all, if you're able to, uh, if you would stand with me, if you have your Bibles, open to Isaiah 9, verse number 6. We're going to read verses 6 and 7. This is God's word. It is truth. It is life. And here in Isaiah 9, verse 6, it reveals to us the person of Christ, the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9, verse number 6, it says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the promise of this coming Messiah, this one who would rescue us from our sins, this one who would uh, atone for our sins so that we could know you, we could have a relationship with you. And God, as we continue to look into this prophecy of this coming Messiah, this one who uh, for us has already come, who has already uh, come and lived and died and has risen again. God, I pray that you would 
reveal more of, of your nature, your character to us. God, we want to know you more. God, we want to love you more. We want to become more like you. We want to be uh, more uh, lavish and gracious and, and uh, generous with our telling of the gospel to a world that needs it. And so, God, in this season, would you continue to bring our attention, our focus, our affections back to you, who you are, and all that you have done in coming for us. And so, Lord, as we look at this title today, Everlasting Father, would you, would you help us to see you more for who you are? Help us to become more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you all have a seat. Isaiah 9, 6, Everlasting Father. So, as we've seen in this passage, it starts out by telling us who this Messiah is. It says to us, a child is born, speaks to his humanity. To us, a son is given. It speaks to his divinity. He is fully God. He is fully man. His role, it says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. And what that means is that he is going to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that his, his rule and his reign will be absolute. It will be peaceful and it will be endless. This is this Messiah who is coming. What is his name? He says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. A couple weeks ago, we saw this, that he leaves us in awe. He leaves us in wonder, full of wonder at who he is. He's a counselor. He provides wisdom and, and guidance and counsel to help us. He is Wonderful Counselor. He is mighty God. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He is not just a baby in a manger. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. The world is, is okay and cool with us celebrating a baby in a manger at Christmas. Uh, hey, that's fine. Cute little baby. Let's, let's adore him in the season. Uh, what the world doesn't love and what our culture doesn't love is that that coming Messiah would be not just a baby in a manger, but mighty God. It would be a king that would sit upon a throne and demand our worship and demand our adoration. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. And this morning, we're going to talk about everlasting father, everlasting father. And so uh, we're going to break this up uh, as, as we have been doing. Let's, let's start with everlasting, everlasting. So let me define this for us, this word everlasting. I think you probably know what it means, but let's, let's put it out there. It means in perpetuity, continuing, uh, continuing into the future without end, forever, eternal. Uh, and I think this is just important to like think about this word because uh, we are in uh, living in the flesh. Uh, our natural inclination, our natural way of thinking is not to think about things that are eternal. It's to think about the here and now, right? It's to think about things that are temporary. It's to think about our current situation, our current difficulties, uh, and all of those things. And so we need to be reminded that the God that we worship uh, is eternal, uh, and that we have, we will all live for eternity. And so everlasting in perpetuity, continuing without end, forever, eternal. Uh, I've seen this, this phrase and even this word uh, explained in, in a couple different ways. Uh, so I've seen it explained as, um, as an adjective, not referring to the eternal nature of his being, uh, rather the never-ending nature of his care. Okay, so we know he, that God is and that Jesus is eternal, no beginning and no end. Uh, I've seen this described as it's, it's more of, of an adjective describing his unending care for us. So uh, Alistair Begg, a Scottish preacher that Jay referenced last week, I've heard him say, uh, refer to the phrase that helped him, forever uh, father, forever father. 
I think that's a pretty cool phrase. It reminds me of a phrase we use with, uh, with kids who have been adopted, right, that maybe have been orphaned and have been gone from foster family to foster family. And then when, once they're finally adopted, they're adopted into what we call what? Their forever family. And I love that phrase. There's this permanence and security and safety that's found there. Uh, and, and so this, this same idea, father forever. So I've heard it explained that way um, as an adjective of his unending care, but I've also heard it used literally, like the literal translation of this would be father of eternity. Father of eternity. In other words, he's the, uh, he's the source or the author of eternity. And I think that's another uh, appropriate way to see this. Uh, what is clear uh, is, that, is this, is that Isaiah the prophet is, he's highlighting the divine nature of the Messiah. He's highlighting the divine nature of the Messiah. Isaiah was this prophet who loved to speak about eternity. And one of the ways he, he spoke of, of eternity and God is, is Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So he, he describes God as one who inhabits eternity. This is like where he, he lives. He inhabits e eternity. Uh, and, and so he, he is, in other words, he is, he is outside of, of time. He is not bound by time. He lives outside of time. Uh, he, his loving rule is eternal. Now, there are so many scriptures we could go to. Uh, I do want to take you to a handful of them here uh, just briefly this morning because the scriptures speak over and over about uh, his eternal rule and his eternal nature. Psalm 45, verse 6, the psalmist says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. Okay, it's not temporary. It, it, your throne is forever and ever. Psalm 93, verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. All right, so the idea is like, you know, if someone were to say, hey, when were you born? You would say, well, I was born on so-and-so date. Uh, ask God, hey, when were you born? When did you start? Uh, everlasting. Right? There's no beginning. I'm from everlasting. My throne is established from of old. There's no beginning point. Uh, Lamentations, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. So what generation are you a part of? Uh, I'm a Gen Xer. Maybe you're a, a boomer or Gen Z. And you ask God, hey, what generation are you a part of? Yes, all of them. I'm, my throne endures to all generations. There's never been a point where he has not existed. He is forever. He is everlasting, and his reign is forever. Revelation 1, we go to the end of the Bible. Revelation 1, verse number 8, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the first and the last, says the Lord God, who is and who, who is presently, who was, eternity past, and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the self-existing one. He has always existed, past, present, future. He is eternal, and this is, this is who he is. This is, even in, if you look in, further in Revelation, Revelation 4, 8, uh, the, the, the cherubim around the throne are singing, holy, holy, holy. He is the one who is and who was and was to, is to come. 
He is eternal. He is everlasting. This is his nature. This is who he is. Uh, even in our Bible reading plan. So a couple weeks ago, we were in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And John 1, I think, is always a great passage to look at and be reminded of at Christmas. It says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, so in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So to, to make sure there's no confusion about who the word is, verse number 14, if you drop down, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Christmas story. This is the coming of Jesus. The word who was with God, who was in the beginning, who created all things, that word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Word who was in the beginning. So he is eternal. He is everlasting. Uh, and then this week, so that was a couple weeks in our Bible reading plan. This past week, I read this in uh, Hebrews chapter 7. I read this, and I'm like, ah, God, thank you. This is perfect for, for this Sunday. It says this, and, and, and Hebrews is all about the priesthood of Jesus, that he is like the true and better priest. Hebrews 7, verse 23 to 25, it says this, The former priests, speaking of human earthly priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, these priests who took up the priestly office, uh, there were so many of them because you had to keep replacing them because each priest's office would end. Why? Because they would all die, right? And so speaking of Jesus, it says this, verse 24, But he holds his priesthood permanently. Why? I love this phrase. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. His priesthood never ends. He never vacates this office. Why? Because he never ends. He never dies. He continues forever. So he is, he is everlasting. And so just think about this. This is just such an amazing prophecy. Because remember, Isaiah is speaking this, this prophecy about this coming Messiah, this, this child that would be born, this son who would be given, given some 700 years into the future. And yet, this child who would be born, this son who would be given, already was. He already was in existence. Not yet in the form of, of a human in the flesh, but he is everlasting. He is everlasting. Jesus is everlasting. This author of eternity is everlasting. So everlasting is, is the first part of this, this title. And the second part is, is father. So let's consider that second part, everlasting father. So what I said a few minutes ago uh, about these, these not being like formal titles, but rather descriptive of his character and his nature. This is important, uh, and this applies uh, for sure here when it comes to this word, Father. Now, we're, we're pretty familiar with, with the usage of this word Father when it speaks to, you know, like the head of something or uh, the founder of something. Uh, so let me ask you a question, a little history question here. Let me see if, you, if we're on the same page. Who is the father of our nation? I heard it. George Washington, everybody agree? Uh, that's what I would say. Uh, so let me ask you a question. If George Washington is the father of our nation, does that mean old George W. is your daddy? <laughs> no, 
That would be weird if he was, right? No, unless your last name is Washington and your dad happened to be named George, right? No, there's the idea that he's, he was one of the founders. He was the head. He was instrumental in the foundation of our, our nation. He's, he's the father of our nation. So has that kind of, of meaning that Jesus is the founder of our faith. Okay, this is one way that we could look at this term father. Let, let me take you to a couple verses uh, again back in Hebrews. Hebrews 2 verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is speaking of God uh, and the founder of our salvation being Jesus Christ. He is the founder. He's the father of our salvation. Hebrews 12, fast forward a few chapters. It says this, looking to Jesus, the what? The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is the founder of our faith. Matthew Henry uh, described him as, uh, I love this phrase, the father of the great work of redemption. He's the father of the great work of redemption. Jesus is the founder of our faith. Now, here's what this phrase, everlasting father, is not speaking to. All right, I'm going to take a few minutes here, a little theology lesson here. It's not speaking in a Trinitarian sense. Okay, so when we say Trinitarian or Trinity, we're speaking of what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God who is three in one. This is one of the very foundational uh, you know, teachings, doctrines of, of our faith, that God is three in one. Blessed Trinity, right? He is three in one. What this is saying as it calls this Messiah everlasting father. It's not speaking to those relationships within the Godhead. It is not teaching, Isaiah is not teaching us here that Jesus, the son of God, God's son, is the same as God the father. All right, this may seem like um, semantics. It's not, I assure you. It's not, he's not teaching that Jesus the Son is the same as God the Father. The Trinity teaches us, the biblical teaching is that they are three distinct persons and yet they are one. All right, and so the early church would have denounced this kind of teaching that we're talking about, that Jesus the Son is the same as God the Father. They would have denounced this as heresy. They would have called this, the heresy is called modalism. Modalism. So let me teach you this word. What, is, what does modalism mean? Well, this teaching of modalism means that God is one, and yet uh, he manifests himself in, in three different forms. He takes up three different forms or modes or manifestations. All right, so let me give you a, let me give you a human example. Let me use myself as an example. All right, I am obviously one person, but I have multiple roles that I play in my life, multiple modes that I kind of shift in and out of, right? I am, on one hand, I am a, a husband. Uh, on another hand, I'm a, I'm a father. Uh, on another hand, I'm, uh, I, that would mean I have three hands. Um, uh, on the other hand, I am a pastor, right? So I, I, I wear different hats. So I take up different modes. Uh, what this heresy, this false teaching of modalism teaches is that God is one person and yet he, he, sometimes will show up in different, these different forms, sometimes as the Father, sometimes as the Son, sometimes as the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let me use a, like a little diagram to kind of like just kind of tease this out for a second for you. Trinitarianism, um, the biblical teaching of God is three in one. He is three 
persons, one God, uh, is, is kind of illustrated in this, this diagram. So if you would see God in the center, and if we kind of track from the center or from the, the corners in, the Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet if you go from corner to corner, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. So these are three distinct persons that, that comprise one God. This is the Trinity, and this is one of these mind-blowing truths, but it, it's different from modalism. Okay, so I'm going to put up this diagram, which this is the teaching that there's one God, but sometimes he shows up with the Holy Spirit, sometimes he shows up as the Father, sometimes he, he takes up the mode or manifestation of the Son. That is, that is not accurate and biblical. And you could, we could trace that through the Bible. You see times where all three are together, the, the baptism of Jesus. When you see Jesus baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, uh, the Spirit descends as a dove. You, you hear Jesus, the Son, praying to God, the Father. There are three distinct persons, all right? So what this is not teaching when it calls Jesus, the Messiah, everlasting Father, it's not saying that Jesus is the Father, all right, so I wanted to make sure we, we kind of clarify that because I think for us, when we, when we see Father, we immediately go, well, God the Father. Uh, no, they are distinct persons, and they are, they are co-equal, they are co-eternal, but, but three distinct persons. What it is saying about Jesus, though, when it says, when it calls him Father, it's describing, again, this isn't a title. Remember, it's not a formal title. This is a descriptor of what he is like. He is like a father uh, to his, his children, to his people. And I want to read you a quote from Pastor Sam Storms. He says this, The word father is a descriptive analogy pointing to Christ's character. What does a father do? What image is evoked by the word? I suggest he has in mind the tenderness and sensitivity of a compassionate and affectionate father. It is the security and love he provides, as well as protection and provision. Jesus, therefore, is fatherly and father-like in his treatment of us. This is similar to what the psalmist had in mind when he said, and this is quoting Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So if I could sum that up, I would say it this way, that Jesus, he is like a father in his care, his protection, and provision for his own. He is like a father in his care, protection, and provision for his own. In other words, he loves us like a father loves his children. Uh, he, he guides us like a father would guide his children. He protects us like a father would protect his children. He provides for us like a father would provide for his, his children. He is like a father. And there's something, I don't have to tell you this, but there's something unique about a father's care for his own. Um, I could look at somebody else's kids and, uh, and I could admire them, I could respect them, I could think highly of them, uh, but I would never have the same kind of affection and care for them that I would have for my own kids, right? It's, it's just, it's different. Uh, I heard of this, I was reading from this pastor, his name is Todd Wilson. He talked about how his kids would sometimes um, like call him, like for fun, not disrespectful, but they would call him by his first name, 
right? They'd be like, hey, Todd. And uh, I don't know if you ever, if y'all ever done that, maybe you got like 99 lashings if you called your parent by their first name. Uh, but his kids would be like, like, dad, why is it such a big deal that we call you by your first name? And I loved his, re- his response. Uh, his response was, <clears throat> it's, it's really not that, that big of a deal. It's just that you don't want me to start treating you as though you only know me as Todd. All right, he goes on to say, you want me, you, you need me to be dad or father, not Todd. Friends call me Todd, but I wouldn't die for most of my friends. I would die for you. So you call me dad or father. And I, like, the first time I read that, I was like, man, that tears me up. That's so true. Like um, most of my friends, most other people's kids, hey, I love you. I might not lay, lay down my life for you. Uh, but my kids, absolutely, right? The care that a father has for their kids is so different and so unique and so special. And this is what it speaks to. Um, and you know, here's what I know. Every time we talk about the fatherhood of God, that I know that's challenging for some people based on earthly experience. Um, or in this case, we're, we're talking about the fatherhood of even Jesus. And so I know for some, man, this is hard to speak about. And I want to remind you of something that I know you know is that every human father is an imperfect father. And so regardless of what your father has looked like on earth, good, bad, or ugly, uh, you have a perfect father in heaven. You have a perfect father in heaven. And here's the, tr- the Christmas truth, is that Jesus, the Son, came to save you and to save me from our sins. This wonderful counselor, this mighty God, God come in the flesh as a father who would lay down his life for his own children. This is the fatherly love of Christ. And Christ has made known to us the father. What I'm saying is that the only way that we know what God the father looks like is we have to look to the son. We have to look to the example of Jesus. He is the one who has made known to us the father. And not only has he made known to us the Father and what he looks like and what he's all about, his character and his nature, he has made a way for us to know the Father. He has made a way for us to come back to the Father. I want to introduce you to, uh, in a sense, an old dead guy that I've never quoted before. Uh, he's a, an old Dutch theologian. His name is Herman Bavink. All right? He lived from 1854 to 1921. Herman Bavink, he said this, He said, if for insignificant, guilty, and impure persons, if there is to be a possibility of true religion, and by the way, he's speaking of all of us, right? Insignificant, guilty, uh, impure persons. If there is to be a possibility of true religion, that is of genuine fellowship with God, of salvation and eternal life, then God on his part must reestablish the broken bond. Again, take them into fellowship with him and share his grace with them, regardless of their guilt and corruption. He then must descend from the height of his majesty, seek us out, and come to us. Here's a phrase I want to get to. Take away our guilt and again open the way to his fatherly heart. If God were to wait until we had made ourselves worthy in part or in whole to receive his favor, 
the restoration of communion between him and ourselves would never happen and salvation would forever be out of reach for us. Man, this is the truth of the gospel. That if it depended on us to be good enough, if it depended on us making the nice list in order for him to shed his grace upon us, like we would never, ever have a relationship with God. It would never, ever happen. And yet Jesus came to, as he said, to take away our guilt and to again open the way to his fatherly heart. This is why Jesus came, so that we could know the Father. Jesus opens the way to God's fatherly heart. Galatians 4. Again, this is another rich passage that we ought to look at every single Christmas season. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, when the time was just right, and, the, and God's timing, in his perfect timing, and his plan, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. And so, so God sent forth his son to make us sons and daughters of God. When the fullness of time came, he sent us so that we could be adopted into the family. And so Jesus, with a, ha- a fatherly heart for us, opens the way for us back into the fatherly heart of God. Let me read a quote from another dead theologian that y'all know, I've talked about him, Charles Spurgeon. Here's what, what he said. But here is a sweet thought. Jesus, him, Jesus neither himself dies, he, he's everlasting father, he neither dies nor becomes childless. He does not lose his children. If his church could perish, he would not be the father. How a father without a son. And this is the best of all, that he is an everlasting father to all those to whom he is a father at all. If thou has entered into this relationship so as to be in union with Christ and to be covered with the skirts of his garment, thou art his child and thou shalt forever be. This goes back to Romans 8 that we, we touched on. I love this phrase, and I think he made up a couple words, but he's Charles Spurgeon. He can do that. He said this, There is no unfathering Christ, and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him, and he never does at any one moment cease to be a father to any one of these. There's no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is an everlasting father. This is who he is. So how do we live in light of this? How do we live in light of this? Uh, You know, in in my mind, uh, my mind went to uh, some different songs, some different song lyrics. I'm going to keep this simple this morning. I could reference some more recent uh, songs, um, like one that comes to mind is uh, Run to the Father, um, because I think of the way that a child runs into the safe, strong, secure arms uh, right, of a, of a loving father. Um, that's a lyric that I think of. But I'm actually going to go back further in time to something less recent and more old, uh, to an old hymn. Any of y'all remember an old hymn uh, called Leaning on the Everlasting Arms? Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Um, that, that was the first thought that came to my, my mind. How do we live in light of this? He is an everlasting father. Well, lean on the everlasting arms of Christ. 
It's a place of safety and security and joy and, and peace. And, and here's, here's the words. The first verse says, What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. And the f- refrain goes, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Second verse goes on to say, Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. And then it goes into the refrain again, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Verse three, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have peace complete with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. And I think I remember seeing this at you know, my church in college. And I think we, like as college students, uh, you, we, I think we did this dumb thing. Didn't we do this like, where you're like leaning, leaning, and you're like leaning side to side. I don't think that's the meaning of the song because that, that feels very like unstable, right? Like I'm, I'm teetering and tottering. Uh, that doesn't feel safe and secure. Um, the idea of leaning is like you put your weight upon something, right? Like to lean upon something is to rest on something, to put the full weight of your life upon something. And that's the idea, it's to lean on the everlasting arms of the Father who loves you. And so let me just ask you a simple question. Is there some way, is there any way in your life in which you are leaning upon your own strength, upon your own understanding, Proverbs 3? Leaning on the everlasting arm. The child born, the son given, is to us everlasting father. The child born, like think of that. This child that would be born, the son that would would be given is an everlasting father. And so let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you worship him? Do you lean on his everlasting arms? Everlasting father, if you don't know him, man, this is an invitation this morning for you to receive him, for you to put your faith in him. You don't have to be on the nice list. You're on the naughty list. We all need the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God, and he offers it to us freely. When the fullness of time came, he, he, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he would redeem, be able to redeem us, so we receive adoption as sons. He is our everlasting father. Amen. And Lord, this morning, thank you for this truth of who you are, that you are a wonderful counselor. You are a mighty God. You are everlasting Father. And so this morning, thank you for the reminder of of eternity that we get so stuck in the day-to-day and the here and now, and yet, God, you remind us through this title, through this description, that you are everlasting. From beginning to end, you are the Alpha, the Omega. You are the one who is and who was and who is to come. God, you are everlasting. You are our Father. You are the founder, the perfecter of our faith. You are the one who has revealed, Jesus, you are the one who has revealed the Father's love to us. Uh, This morning, God, we want to be your people who lean upon your strength, your safety, your security. You love us as a Father. And so thank you for your tender, compassionate affection. May we rest in that. May we lean into that in this season. 
May we proclaim the goodness of that truth to others. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are everlasting, Father. In Jesus' name.